ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 119 of the MTV podcast, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jared. I'm Liam. I'm Trevor. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard that right today. We have Trevor, our head mechanic in the California shop, here on the podcast to shed a little bit of wisdom, bike tech stuff. We're going to talk about a bunch of different stuff today, aren't we, Liam? Yes. 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 Be fun. It is going to be fun. We're going to talk about uh, our upcoming Italy trip we were leaving in a couple days for, um, what we're going to do to set up our bikes for that trip. And we're also going to talk about a bunch of bike tech questions that we received from the listeners. And also, uh, we're going to get a little bit of insight onto what Trevor has been riding lately and kind of setup is going into that as well. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. Trevor, what were you going to say, Sam Liam? Oh, I was just going to say, Jeff is absent from this episode. Yes. As he's already in Europe, yes. Italy, with his family. He is. Doing family stuff. Hopefully having a great time and not working at all. But um, I've already gotten a couple emails from him, so I think he is definitely working. Still. He's always working. He's always working. Yeah. But, yeah, let's get into it. Trevor, what uh, what are you riding right now? Um, right now I'm riding a Yeti SB140. Uh, we did a custom build at the shop, which was super awesome uh, with all the new – latest and greatest SRAM RockShocks components. So I did a full SRAM RockShocks build with the uh, purple 140 frame, um, which was pretty cool to do, super high end, and um, been riding that for the past couple months, and it's been awesome. Um, I've been riding that, and I've also been riding a uh, Crestline RS7550, nice. which has also been super fun. So getting a little analog action, getting a little e-bike action. So mm. a little best analog, thing. analog. Yeah, Amish bikes. Amish. <laughs> I don't know if we can say that. <laughs> I have, well, cu- I have customers tell me that all the time, and I think it's hilarious. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, you've been racing acoustic. bikes, actually, both uh, acoustic and non-acoustic mm-hmm. for years now. Yep. Um, and you as well, Liam. Um, yeah, well, let's see what else, what, what else we got here. Why did you pick the 140? I picked the 140 because, um, mainly I just wanted a bike that could kind of do it all. Um, I feel like the 140 is, uh, kind of blurring the lines between a lot of different bikes and you can really make it excel in one different area based off of your setup, which, uh, at least me and Liam are really in, t- in tune with like getting a very unique setup to kind of enhance a certain style of riding and uh, that's been that's been super fun to to play with and experiment um, as we're able to. We're uh, we're pretty lucky here to test some different stuff here and different tire setups, wheel setups, brakes, all that stuff. And um, it's really cool to be able to fine tune different aspects of one bike. You know. Yep. Totally. Um, you just got back from Big Bear. Yes. Last week. Yes. Or something like that. Yep. Uh, took a uh, I took a day trip up to Big Bear to Snow Summit, and uh, I rode the 140 there, nice. and I was. A little bit at first, a little nervous because it's like, oh, it's a 140 bike, but I have a 160 Lyric on it. And I put um, downhill tires, downhill wheels, inserts. Nice. And uh, just for stability. And it made the bike super fun. Uh, probably the most fun bike I've ever ridden at Big Bear. I've ridden at Big Bear a lot. Nice. And I was I was really happy with that. It was, it was really fun. I feel like heavy wheels and tires help in the downhill scenario it, a lot. It makes such a big difference going from like light wheels, EXO casing tires to like a double down or a downhill tire setup. It totally changes the bike. Totally. So I, when I originally built the bike, I built it with yeah EXO tires and bird wheels, mm-hmm. um, which is great for at-home riding, uh, local trails, super lightweight setup, low, uh, low rolling resistance, um, 
yeah, it gets up to speed fast and it's really fun. But as soon as I would take it on something a little gnarlier where I'm going to be pushing it at more of like a race pace, it started to become a little like unnerving. It felt like I was under biking a little bit. And yeah. so I wanted to experiment with that with some, yeah, heavier duty DT Swiss built wheels and downhill casing tires. And um, it completely changed the way the bike rode and, and honestly inspired confidence, which I was really happy about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like one of the last things you want when you're riding gnarly stuff is feeling like you're going to break your wheels or like flat your tires exactly and and when i put the downhill t- setup on i could push harder than i wanted to and th- that was really awesome i also put big rotors on it 220 rotors we'll probably get into this later with uh, some questions but yeah that whole aspect of changing around bike setup on the fly for a specific trail or specific specific ride yeah is uh, one of my favorite things to do totally nice yep. well that's Agreed. kind of a good segue into like what we're gonna do to set up our bikes for this trip yeah um so where are you guys going we're going to the Dolomites, a little town called Corvara. Um, and the, gosh, I don't even know exactly what part of Italy technically it yeah, is, I mean, but a little north of Venice, I guess, in the Dolomites. Yeah. Um, which we're flying into Venice, and then we're, we're heading up there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not really doing anything uh, too crazy, in particular, bike setup. Like, got double down rear tire, uh, Maxxis Aggressor, and then an EXO plus Max Grip Assegai on the front. Um and I'm just going to make sure my like suspension's all totally dialed in, you know, yep. and, like just feeling good. Although it's feeling pretty good right now. So, you know, I don't and know. your, what bike are you on? Oh yes. Forbidden Druid. Forbidden right Druid V2. Forbidden Druid V2. That's correct. A little high pivot bike. A little high pivot bike. Yes. Yeah, high pivot witchcraft. I'm, Should be good out there. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to, to see what it's like out there. Um, but yeah, I've ridden it a little bit lately and just been dialing it in and like getting more used to it and, and I'm loving it. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought about doing like an insert here and there, but like, I don't really ride inserts that much, so I don't want to change well, anything too crazy. And you have the Crank Brothers Synthesis Synth- Carbon. Yeah, yeah. And like, those are good wheels, so you don't necessarily need inserts on those. They ride pretty good, so. Yeah. What about you, Liam? <clears throat> I'm bringing my Revel Rail 2.9, uh, that I've kind of been riding all summer. Uh, I have a Lyric on that on the front at 160, and then, uh. Yeah, I'll do EXL Plus, Asuka in the front, Double Down Dissector in the rear, uh, XC Cushcore inserts front and rear on those. So. Nice. Seems well, like a pretty good setup. Yeah, it's it's good. Good um, all-mountain setup. Yeah, good all-mountain setup, a Double Down rear so I can – I don't know what exactly we're going to be riding out there, so I'd rather just have the protection. For sure. Um, and then inserts to save my alloy rims from denting or pinch flatting. Um, and, yeah, the Asuka up front kind of just – Anytime I want a bike with, you know, decent amount of travel, just the Asgard lives up front. There's yeah. really no other point to run a different tire <laughs> yeah. for us, yeah. especially out here. So Agreed. Yeah, you're what, like 150 pounds, right? Or like around yeah. there? What kind of pressure do you typically run um, in your tires? On this bike, I'll run like 22, 22.5 in the front and like 25 in the rear. Nice. So. Pretty yeah. solid. Nice what, little all What pressure are you running, Jared? Pretty similar, actually. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more, like uh, another one or two PSI in the front and rear, you know? But I do like a little bit lower pressure. I just feel like I like the way the bike rides and like the the grip and traction you get and like yeah. compliance, you know, over rocks and roots and types. I don't really know yeah. how many roots or whatever. Or I don't think there's with, much like, roots. But for me, if you're riding trails that you don't really know, riding a little bit lower tire pressure helps with the traction. And then you you don't know the trail, so you're not like pushing into stuff as hard and have like the chance of like rolling tires or like you know having issues. I guess the issue would be like Jared. And Whistler, he didn't know the trail, and he pulled up for a gap and came about six inches short on the gap. <laughs> yeah, like right on the knuckle, like yeah. right at the top of the landing. Had, had a wheel issue. But... And there happened to be a rock there, too, which was perfect. Yeah. And That's the, not the rim was like... 
exactly. Wheel has left the chat. Yeah, wheel has left the chat. Exactly. Which you know we could chalk it up yeah. to whatever. It's always you want, better. Always better to be little. If you don't know where you're going, at least or the terrain, it's always better to be overbiked, overtired. Yeah. All that stuff just to better to be safe than sorry, right? For sure. Yeah, I'd yeah. say properly tired and biked yeah it must yeah. be too overbiked no not too overbiked. <laughs> not too overbiked we're not bringing a downhill bike to a cross country or, course no, yeah or exactly. even downhill casing tires to go pedal in the dull no, lights. Like, no, no. yeah yeah that would be gnarly exl plus double downs a pretty solid combo so yeah i'm not too worried about yeah. that i think if you're if you're running a da- downhill casing tires on a trail bike you should probably only be racing or doing shuttle laps somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. somewhere where you're not going to be pedaling at all or if you are pedaling you're going to be racing so it doesn't matter as much totally and uh just to be because yeah no one wants to pedal that around no all day. no yeah we learned that super inefficient way. we have yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not the most fun ever yeah. yeah no like that one time in sedona earlier this year <laughs> <laughs> except for those shuttle laps that was super fun when mm-hmm. we were shuttling that trail yep we saw what weight then, then it pays cool. off it did. It was yeah. amazing. I was like, yeah, "This is the best." Yeah, like, didn't didn't. Yeah, we saw Wade Simmons on a on a, what was that trail called in um, It was a shuttle trail. Oh man, I forgot what that trail was called. Too. <laughs> I'm blanking on it right now. But uh, yeah, we saw Wade Simmons there, and he, he was like, "You guys shuttling he, that thing?" He thought that Liam was Remy Metallier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which uh, I, also, I, I couldn't really see the correspondence. It was to be fair, it was like seven in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but, no. At first, he goes, "Are you Remy? Remy Metallier?" <laughs> and then I was like, "What?" <laughs> like. Almost taken back, yeah. maybe slightly offended. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, no, you guys are the guys from Worldwide. Yeah. And I was like, it's such a weird segment to like yeah. recognize me for him yeah. and then know exactly who we were. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, wait. Was, yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> cool, dude. That was yeah. a trip, but it was cool, though. Yeah, was. That trail is super fun. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I can't remember, remember the name of it. I feel like it was a one word, like just boom, but whatever. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. It's like the only full shuttable trail in Sedona. Yeah. yeah. Someone in the comments, leave that below because uh, some people will know that for sure. Yeah. Up by the r- airport road. Yeah. We went up the airport road, park at the Vortex, and then we went from there. Shuttle down to like, yeah. I forgot what it's called. We'll figure it out. Hold on. Well, should we jump into some questions? What do you guys think? Yeah. Beautiful. Let's get some questions. Read Let's the first do it. One. All right, boys. Why is it so important to bed brakes in properly? How and when do you do it? So you want to bed your brakes in as soon, like when you're building up a bike, everything's brand new. If you go to break your bike, it's not going to do anything. There's no friction there. So you need to have your brake pads, the brake pad material be bedded into the rotor. Um, To properly do it, from what I know, is to go in a straight line, go up to speed, sprint your bike in a parking lot, and hold the brakes down evenly, and then go kind of to a slow walking speed, and then let off. Do that pretty much as many times as you can. We're, uh, we're pretty lucky here at the shop. We, we're, our shop is on a hill, so I just pedal up to the top of the hill, and then um, with each brake, I'll bed in the brakes going down the hill. It, it's much easier that way because yeah. it's pretty exhausting to do it in a parking lot. You're constantly sprinting and not sprinting. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it's really important to do that so your brakes are grabbing evenly and you won't uh, warp your rotors and do any bad things. If you don't do it properly, your brakes are going to make horrible noises and they're not going to work as good as they can. And in my opinion, brakes are the most important thing on the bike to s- stop you in time. That's how you go fast is to you can slow down fast. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you got to bed those in. Not many people realize that, but it's a very, very important thing to do. Yeah. So essentially you're just transferring the material from the brake pad to the rotor evenly. Um, it's way more important when both are brand new, uh, especially the rotor is brand new. Uh, if the rotor is used and you're putting new pads on, 
the break-in period's like in half, maybe even a third. Um, and usually at that point, like it, it goes pretty quick. But yeah, when stuff's brand new, like uh, I think it's super important to do that. So yeah, and if you're putting like new brake pads on an old rotor, you don't have to. As long as it's the same compound, you don't have to do it as it's not as important to do it because the brake pad material is already on the rotor but it's still important to get that initial service off the brake pad i've heard there's some little tips that you can do where you can actually wet your brake pads and rub them together and uh, kind of gets that initial surface yeah. off of there interesting and then put them put them in and it, it kind of does that process for you of getting that first little like glazed layer off of the brake pad hmm. um, not necessary but little tip to speed up the process yeah, a little bit. like nice. little drops of water and then you kind of rub them together really it seemed like world cup mechanics exactly. and stuff but interesting yeah, yeah they probably don't have as much time to do that kind of stuff when exactly and guys. honestly it's a big effort to bed the brakes improperly like let's say you're a mechanic at a world cup and you your athlete wants the brakes to work on the run immediately as they've been doing like sh- like shuttle laps or laps on the course they want it to, to work as good as it can right away yeah. you need to make sure that brake is bedded in and if you've ever bedded a brake and it takes about a ride sometimes to yeah. get them really working good totally um, so that could be tough for someone in a world cup environment yeah and you don't want your rider like going down with no brakes mm-hmm. you're like sorry dude yeah, one forgot. Time <laughs> i've shuttled i've shuttled crestline before with the buddy and he didn't bed his brakes in and he was like oh screw it i'm just gonna bed them in while i go on the steep downhill <laughs> trail but the downhill trail you're getting the brakes yeah. as hot as they can get pretty much and yeah, uh, yeah your brakes are not going to work as good as they'll ever work with that pad and rotor combo in, in that scenario i would have run run the road down yeah and got a proper bed in got yeah. the next shuttle and then <laughs> caught yeah. a shuttle up your and next lap your whole day is going to be better yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and like the life of your rotors and pads mm-hmm. that too yeah so a lot of noise comes from bad bed in so yeah mm-hmm. i was gonna say is there anything you can do like if you improperly bed your rotors and pads in like retroactively can you fix you, that somehow if you're you like you can oh, take some drywall are... screen to them both um it depends how long they've been going and like i don't know how bad it is but yeah you can take some drywall screen to it evenly sand the pads i usually use like a figure eight pattern on a flat surface and then rotors you kind of like spin the rotor in the in the bike but have no pads in there so okay like nice get that and then clean them both with some alcohol so cool just yeah, asking just, for a friend just get a just get a fresh <laughs> surface on the pads basically oh, for a friend yeah for a friend yeah, yeah. get a fresh surface or as, as, or as fresh as you can and you know, that's your best bet nice yeah cool all right noted awesome how about next question Liam? you want to read that yep i'm wondering if you have any tips on setting bar height i was feeling light in the front wheel lately and dropped a, my bar a few millimeters and that seemed to help any rule or thumb any rules of thumb or tips and tricks that have worked for you all? Bar, it's kind of personal preference and trial and error. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <clears throat> I was gonna say it's it's uh it's it's very personal. Yeah, yeah. What what works for some people doesn't work for others. Um, I'm a pretty consistent person. I run five or ten mil under my stem, and if it's a trail bike or like bigger travel bike, I usually run a thirty five mil rise bar. If it's you know lower trail bike or an XC bike, I run like a 15 or a 20 mil rise bar. And that's just kind of where it is. It, it depends on the bike as well. I was going to say. Because mm-hmm. some head tubes are way taller than others. Some are short. Did you over fork the bike from what it has came with? Um, and, and also your terrain. Yeah. Are yeah. you riding? Like I know Troyden, we were talking to Troyden, he's like, dude, every month I keep bumping my bars up. He, he moved from SoCal to Bellingham. So everything up there is super steep. The more local trails he finds, the steeper they are. 
and he just keeps bumping his front end up, bigger rise bars, more spaces under the stem, adds, you know, 10 mil and fork travel. Um, so it, it does depend where you're at. Um, yeah, they probably, uh, you know, have a, lo- a lot less like off camber. Well, I mean, we don't have any like proper berms anywhere in this county. So <laughs> he's probably like, yeah, yeah. I can, you know, yeah. they've got catch berms and stuff everywhere. But, like, yeah. Properly built trails. It, re- it really is like personal. Like yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be afraid to experiment because, uh, and don't be ashamed if you think it's not the normal thing to do because what's normal might not be good for you. Yeah. Um, like take an d- example of Dakota Norton. He's yeah. uh, racing for intense and he's got the biggest stack I've ever seen in my life. I've and he that. just it's got, it's I think he just got sixth place or something at the world cup. He just, yeah. he just killed it. So yeah, true. Um, or he qualified six at least. And, um, yeah, for me personally, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm pretty lanky. I've got long arms, long legs. And, um, I like a higher stack. When I first built that Yeti, I just rode the normal trail one bars, no rise or the mid rise ones. And, um, they were good, but I felt like I was hunched over too much and I didn't enjoy that as much. I felt like it, the bike felt small for me for that. And, uh, so Liam gave me a set of the high rise bars and I put that on with the big stack and it felt much more comfortable for me. Also with bar roll, like the standard is to kind of have it in line with the fork offset mm-hmm. and, um, personally, I like the bar roll to be up. I don't know why. It's just that's how I feel comfortable riding, and maybe it's something I've gotten used to, and that's just what works for me. It might not be, might not work for everybody, you know. So yeah. I wouldn't be scared to experiment. In general, like if you're the higher your stack height is, the higher your bar height is, the better it will be for steep riding. And the opposite, if you're lower, love a lower stack, it's going to be better for just normal XC trail riding or not as steep riding. Yeah. But again, that's super personal still. And uh, you just need to experiment and just do one change at a time and you'll be, you'll be good to go eventually. Yeah. Yeah. The nice thing is if your bike has some spacers above or below the stem, it's free to try. Mm-hmm. So you can just add some on top, add some on bottom, mm-hmm. go off for a ride, take note, go do the same trail, make a change. And, yeah. You know, see yeah, what works. When I'm sitting on my bike, I'm not scared to take out the multi-tool and change the stack height or the bar roll because that is something you can do instantly that will change your riding experience pretty dramatically, yep. um, at least on the downhill. Yeah. I was going to say also like putting your bar roll a little bit more forward probably might help you put more front wheel or weight on the front wheel too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, also, I was wondering like if you experiment with, you know, your spacers and like your, your bar rise, is there like... A tangible difference, for instance, like if you drop your, you know, your stack by like 10 mil um, or for instance, if you raise your stack by 10 mil versus putting a 10 mil rise bar, like is that basically doing the same thing or almost but not really? Almost. um, Technically, as you add spacers under your stem, you're actually shortening your reach. We're only talking like maybe two or three mil for like every 10 mil of spacers under your stem. So it's not a huge deal, but say you are trying to eke out more reach of your bike um, or it's a little long, you can like make an adjustment for that, but we're only talking a few millimeters. So yeah. Um, for experiment's sake, it's almost the same. Um, just, you know, moving it up and down and say you did move it up a bunch, but you're like, Oh, you know, that, that felt good, but I, I do want to get a 35 mil rise bar. You can put it back down, get a 35 mil rise bar and you'll probably have like a very similar feel. Nice. Yeah. Also, if, if something I've, I've learned in the past, like uh, most bikes that I've ridden in, in the past have been extra large bikes. And since working here, I've been sizing down a little bit to large bikes. Um, so from reach numbers to from five to five, 10, all the way now to like 475, 485, which is a pretty big difference. 
And at first I felt like, oh wow, I'm, I feel cramped. I'm, this is pretty small. I'm so used to the, this huge reach. And I would say just, just uh, give it some time because um, it takes a while to get used to a bike and just trust it a little bit and get used to it. And it, it, uh, it might be much better for you actually. Totally. Um, I was racing our Crestline e-bike, the RS7550, and it's uh, the RH3, which is 475 reach, which I was pretty nervous about for reach because it's so dramatic than the other bike I was riding. It was a 510 reach. And um, I actually ended up loving it because of how small it was. The smaller e-bike was fun to move around. And once your body gets used to it and you feel comfortable and natural on it, it actually can be a huge advantage. Um, and so my advice is to maybe don't stress as much about it and just try and figure it out, try and get used to it. Nice. Yeah, something like on paper might not feel the same in the real world. Yeah, it's easy to it's easy to get worried about numbers. Yeah. Um, and, but you, you just need to ride the bike. Totally. Yeah. Agreed. Stop being a headcase, ride your yeah, bike. Exactly. <laughs> totally. All right. Next question. What is the best way to? Oh wait, no, I skipped one. Skipped I'm sorry. One. If your bike mechanic insists on working on your bike naked, should you be concerned? <laughs> no, not at all. You need all of the the movement and stuff not to get caught. Like, right. you know, you, you get a tool caught in your shirt, you know, that's a big deal. So yeah, yeah. naked is the way to go. I think the key yeah. to being a mechanic is being relaxed. Yeah. You, know, you need to, you need to, you need to be relaxed so you can think good. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would feel as relaxed if I was completely naked. Oh, that's how I feel the most relaxed. Maybe, maybe yeah. by myself. Yeah. But, but, uh, well, it'd be weird if, you know, like we were just all here and you're back there naked. Yeah. But I mean, if it was I like, do it pretty you, often, you were just like in your garage. Wouldn't I mean, it be the weirdest thing I've seen here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, you're right. Oh man. That's awesome. All right. A practical question. What is the best way to eliminate random squeaking and creaking noises? Oh, uh, Trevor's be- favorite. Yeah. Best thing. Uh, this is my job. <laughs> my bike, people come in, my bike's creaking. I got to fix it, right? So, take our jobs. Um, yeah, number one thing I always say, and it's honestly proven, is just wash your bike very well. Um, do like a thorough job of washing your bike. Don't wash it too well where you're blowing out the grease and all that stuff. That'll make your bike creak even more. But do a thorough job of, of cleaning your bike, make it nice and shiny. A clean bike is a happy bike and a quiet bike. Degrease, um, drivetrain. Degrease your drivetrain, mm-hmm. lube it Slight, up. Light degrees. Yeah. Don't go too hard. Don't go too hard, yeah. but lube it up. Like just do it thorough job make it proper uh, maybe we should do a video about that in the future but because it's super helpful i've had people come to me in the past and they're like oh trevor my bike is creaking what do i do i mean have you cleaned your bike no so clean your bike and then go to ride it and it's going to feel brand new or most likely if there's an underlying issue then there's a an underlying issue yeah. but it could also be from lack of cleaning and riding over and over and over mm-hmm. again um at the very least like before before every ride like luber chain clean your seals uh, make sure your bike isn't super muddy before you ride it, and it'll be much happier that way. Nice. Yeah. And then from there, if you're still having actual creaking, squeaky noises, uh, first is crank some bottom bracket. It's just what collects dirt the most is close to the ground, and it spins all the time. Um, so check that. And then from there, uh, you can kind of eliminate whether it's coming from the headset or the rear end. Um, if you can do that, uh, I just start checking like shock mounts. That's a good one. Make sure your axles are tight, especially rear axle. That causes creaking and squeaking. Um, but yeah, I just say do one thing at a time. Go out and test ride it, see if it works. You can do little things like eliminate where a possible cause of a creak would be. 
Like for example, if it's a drivetrain issue, or you could eliminate a drivetrain issue if you take the chain off and try to try to spin a wheel or try to spin a bearing or spin the crankset. Um, you could eliminate that with the chain on or off, and um, you can move the, the seat up and down. You can check for play in the shock. You can apply the front brake and move the headset. Just little things to, to kind of diagnose where the actual creak is coming from, and that'll be your best bet to know where to attack the problem and then go from there. Nice. Process of elimination. Process of elimination yep. goes a long way. I like it. How about this one, Liam? Can you use P instead of sealant? And also, which tire sealant tastes the best? Jared's tire sealant tastes the best. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> that, is, that is disgusting. Um, you could use P instead of sealant. I don't think it'll work. Yeah. Um, it might not seal. It won't seal anything. Yeah, and then if you get a flat, you're screwed. Yeah. Got and now you're just covered yeah, in pee. Covered in pee. You think beans pee would work? Um, probably just smell like cat piss. Probably not, but I bet you her hairballs would. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Mix the two. <laughs> that's so gnarly. I'll tell you um, what, when you when you whenever I change a tire and they've used PD sealant, that stuff smells a little interesting. Yeah. Um, same with like the finish line stuff. Maybe it uses like ammonia but, or something. But the finish line looks like cookies and cream. It does. Like a and, the, and the PDs looks delicious as well. It looks uh it looks great. But that's like the blue kind of smel- right? yeah, yeah, and it's got like little sparkles in it, yeah. little flakes and the muck off stuff. one sounds good or smells um, good. And same too. with the muck off. The muck off one is very similar yeah, as well like, to the PDs. Almost like maybe I would imagine berry flavored. Yeah, exactly. And it's it smells different than a normal sealant. Yeah. Um that's the I would that would that would probably taste the best. Yeah. The other stuff maybe that works a little bit better, like orange seal. I don't know if that tastes good either. You might know. You blew up your tire the other day. <laughs> <laughs> did you get some? In your, did you get some in your mouth? Oh man, I probably uh, did. Yeah, man. but I don't think it tasted very good. Well, yeah, I don't think I'd actually taste any sealant just for a uh, disclaimer. <laughs> maybe just like there. a little bit on your pinky, like a yeah. you know, like a little bit like that. Because if it will seal a tire, it might seal some other stuff. That's only, true. Yeah. Only way if I'm tasting sealant is if Jared blows up another tire in my face and we're <laughs> uh, sealing some tires. Right. <laughs> All right. This is a long one. This is a long one. Um, I'm currently in the process of warranty frame replacement on my current carbon MTBU due to a crack. I'm a little worried about building out and riding the replacement frame and having the same thing happen again. Met some local riders who have also had the same thing happen from the same manufacturer. Should I look to get a different bike now that I've seen multiple instances of frame failure from this company? Cost will play a big factor here considering I'll have to buy a new frame and some new parts for both the bike and get the replacement bike in a sellable condition. Whew. Hmm. That's a tough one, man. Um, I well, I can understand. I that. think I guess the first part though would be, how is the crack happening? Is it like a little stress crack that happens, and then the company takes care of you really well? Um, are there any catastrophic failures to be noted? Because like, you know, at the end of the day, we are riding carbon or alloy bikes, um, and they will they do develop cracks. It's just what happens. Like, yeah, you know, obviously. You don't want that to happen, um, but it does sometimes. So that would be my thought is like, is this a little crack that, you know, I notice, you know, every two or three years and then the company's really cool and takes good care of you? If so, I wouldn't be nervous at all about writing that. I would just write it. Um, If there's some big catastrophic failures of friends or on the internet, then maybe look to get a different frame. And good news is, there's a lot of frames on sale right now. That's a lot of true. parts on sale right now. So it's true. There's a lot of really good bikes out it's there. It's a really too. good time to buy a new bike. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know, I kind of in the same boat. Like if it's something that is going to, you know, were you safety wise, then I would probably look into another bike and just like, you don't want that, you know, in the back of your head all the time. Right. Like, whoa, if I case this jump is my like fork and my head tube going to snap yeah, off for sure. Um, in which case, like, you know, I don't know, I would, I would probably like warranty the frame and then sell the replacement frame, keep your parts, get a new frame you know, do that kind of deal or build it up with your parts, sell it and buy a whole new bike and just like start from scratch. Um, but yeah, I guess that's probably what I would do. Yeah. What do you think? I agree. Charlie? I agree with both of you. I think if, I think cracks and, um, stress fractures happen on frames all the time, it's just a thing. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a catastrophic failure and you don't trust it anymore, get a, get a new warranty frame from the manufacturer. And I would just, have the shop swap all that stuff over for you and then sell the bike and then get something new, get something fresh just cause it's worth it Yeah, to do that. I don't think it's worth it to get a, a frame and put your old parts on the old frame. I don't think that's necessarily worth it. Yeah. But also at the same time, like I would be grateful that you're, you have a warranty if you bought it, if you're the original owner of the bike yeah. and, um, yeah, most manufacturers are pretty good about that process and they will help you out as much as they can cause they want you to be happy. And, um, and and not, yeah, I wouldn't stress too much about that. It's just part of the, part of the process. Yeah, I guess it depends on the warranty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how bulletproof is your warranty? Yep, exactly. So another key point about buying a bike new is so you can get that warranty, and it plays a big factor in um, trusting the bike and being able to push the bike as well without having to worry about cracking it. Yeah. For sure. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's that yeah. time. How about an ad? Ad from our sponsors. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey. This is Craig Federighi from Apple. I'm here to let you know last week at Apple Park, we had our Worldwide Developers Conference and we're really excited about our new Vision Pro. We're looking for developers to help create the world's first augmented reality mountain bike game. If you're a developer and intimately familiar with wearing a VR headset while riding your mountain bike, please email me at craig at apple.com. Thank you. And now back to the show. You know, this question I, uh, I could have asked, but I didn't. Because I could use the knowledge. What are the secrets to truing a wheel? Oh, well, there's secrets. <laughs> well, that's it's it's a dark art. What are the it's secrets? Tell me, tell me, I want to know. What's up? <laughs> Did you learn any secrets, Trevor, when starting here? Well, to be fair and honest, I didn't. I can true. I could true a wheel pretty good when I first started working here, but I did not know how to build up a wheel from scratch. Um, the previous places I had worked, other people kind of took care of that for me. So I never had the opportunity to really learn. And Liam is a master wheel builder. So I got to learn from him Oof. and that was great. And through, through practice of my own wheels and a bunch of customers wheels, um, I feel very competent, competent in it now. Competent and mm-hmm. competent. Um, things I have learned, um, patience is your friend. And also you really have to feel out what the wheel is doing there's no like there's no trick to it there's you have to like understand that if you do a certain movement on a certain spoke that it's going to affect something else and you have to do one thing at a time and then eventually you have to be patient and it'll add up to a more true wheel Um, also sometimes it's better to not have a wheel true but to have a wheel strong Um, we did a wheel today actually where the wheel was was pretty beat and um, it's going to be raced and it's much better at least for a mountain bike enduro 
like competition, it's better to have a strong wheel with even spoke tension than it is to have a true wheel with uneven spoke tension because the true the wheel is just going to go untrue, or the the tension is going to be lost almost yeah. instantly. So if you have a, a wheel that's going to be strong and even tension on both sides, it's going to stay that way for longer. Um, as far as secrets go, yeah, I'd say for me, secrets is really uh, de-stressing the spokes a lot. Um, especially building a new wheel. I am not that heavy. I will literally take the wheel, put it on the ground and walk on all the cross members of the spokes, flip it over, do it again. Um, and then in the stand a couple times, I'll just grab pairing spokes and just squeeze them together and do that on every single one, um, all the way around. And that really helps spokes kind of wind up when you, when you turn the nipple sometimes. So that helps them unwind, um, and kind of get you to where you're like, truly at where sometimes if they wind up it might seem like it's in true and then they actually unwind and now you're back to being out of true and you just lost spoke tension so yeah i feel like it's very important sometimes i'll get wheels out of a box from a manufacturer and you go to ride it and they're just pinging all over the place and it's because the wheel hasn't been properly de-stressed yep. that's something i learned from liam it's just literally like put on like soft hard surface and and literally just walk on it. And sometimes I'll be doing that as I'm building up a wheel and someone comes back in the shop and they're like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that bad for the wheel? But in reality, the stresses you're putting on a wheel when you're riding are much greater than just standing on the wheel. Yeah. And it really makes this the wheel or those spokes sit in place and be where, they, be where they're supposed to be so you can get a more an accurate true. Yeah, the guy who taught me how to build wheels did that. Uh, and mostly on BMX wheels, but he was probably... 220 250 pounds wow and he would just grab a wheel and just walk on it and bmx wheels he would like actually like weight them mm -hmm. and like bounce up and down on all the cross members but mm -hmm. build strong wheels i learned how to build strong wheels and yep. yeah wow. it's important there's a lot of there's a lot of tips and stuff on youtube which i've also used and um, Sheldon Brown has an amazing website about that as yeah. well. You want to get real, real nerdy? Yeah. Sheldon Brown. Yeah. <laughs> if you're getting yeah. confused, go to Sheldon Brown and read thoroughly and you can figure it out. Yep. Nice. Um, and that, yeah, that helps a lot too. But yeah, just being patient, I would say, and having the right tools, having a, a tensiometer really helps too to get the right tension on the wheel is super important. But yeah. again, if you're on a road bike, yes, you want your wheel to be true. And if you have a dent in it, probably replace the rim. If you're on a mountain bike, there's going to be dents in it and it's never going to be true again. If you have a dent, like it's just not going to be true. So focus more on getting an even tension on the drive and non-drive side, and then you'll be uh, cherry from there. Nice. Help. Yeah, I would say patience is like the key for sure. It's mm -hmm. so easy to be like working on a wheel and being like, oh, I just did that wrong. Screw this. I'm taking it to the bike shop. Yep. <laughs> it takes, takes a minute and it, you have to fully commit to it when yeah. you're when you're working on it because you have to focus, um, but it's worth it. Yeah. Or in my case, I'd be like, screw it. I'm having Trevor do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Those are some good tips. All right. Yeah. How about this one? Liam, you want to read that one? What is something that people spend a lot of time tuning and adjusting that isn't actually that all that important? I don't know, man. I'm a nerd. I think everything's important. I think tire pressure is important. Bar height, like we talked about, suspension is extremely important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say be consistent with your riding. So, um, for example, have the same setup every time you ride. So get a digital tire gauge and check your PSI and both of your tires every single time. So make sure you're consistent with that. Check your air pressure and your fork and your shock to make sure you're consistent. Uh, make sure your shifting is always good. Like just make sure your bike is always working good. 
Um, I would say that's the most important thing so that you don't have to spend time tuning and adjusting. And you, and if you do want to change something, you can change it because everything else is the same. If you make one change, you can feel that more if everything is always the same. Right. It's like if you go from one bike to another bike, you can be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. But even though it has, maybe has like a bunch of different parts or tires and stuff, it's like, well, can you really attribute what was amazing? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like dial in what exactly you're feeling. I do have one thing, though, that has held up rides mostly road and gravel rides but someone's power meter doesn't work and they hold up the whole ride (laughs) because they're trying to spin their power meter backwards to have it connect to the computer that's not needed i would 100 100 agree with that i never used one so there's something (laughs) that you don't need to tune and adjust yeah and for (laughs) tuning and adjusting i would say just try to be responsible and if you're showing up to a group ride make sure that before the group ride try your best to make sure your bike is running optimally and then you won't have to do that as Troyden would say stop faffing stop faffing about <laughs> stop faffing about yeah. mate yep nice i like that that's all good advice all right next question listening to the podcast in liam's downeyville recap you mentioned he wrote a forecaster 2.4 looking for a fast rolling but still grippy front tire for my salsa spearfish that i ride like it's a trail bike but da, 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 da. question how does the forecaster combine or how, wait same question right How does the Forecaster compare to the Zynatol and Dissector as front tires? I'm most concerned about pairing fast rolling with good cornering in Midwest hard pack and loose over hard. Um, And also, how does this tire fit into the Maxxis lineup of grip and speed, etc.? I think he answered his own question. I think the Forecaster would be a great option for (laughs) that, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I really like the Forecaster um, comparing it to the Zynatol and Dissector. I think the Forecaster has more middle transition knobs. So it's got that kind of third knob that helps going from straight up and down to kind of sideways to full lean, Um, especially over the dissector, which is missing that knob, which I feel is a little bit drifty in that middle kind of transition spot. But then the dissector side knobs are ever so slightly bigger than the Forecaster. So you might have a better hookup when you do commit to that full lean, but I don't like that drifty feeling up front. I prefer to have the Forecaster up front over the Dissector. Um, this, I've never ridden a Zynatol up front. Jeff has. I know he liked it. But f- when comparing the Zynatol to a Forecaster Dissector, the Zynatol rubber compound in a trail casing currently is not as soft as Maxxis. So that's something to consider. Um, and if you're in mid- Midwest, loose over hard, rubber compound goes a super long way. Um, they, I know Continental is working on getting the super soft compound onto the trail casing tires. I just don't know when that will be available. Yeah, so, that would be a killer front tire. Yeah. Yeah, with a faster rolling or put the regular harder compound Zynatel in the rear. Yep. Yeah, once that's out, that would be a really cool combo. But um, yeah, for now, I mean, it's really hard to beat Maxxis rubber. I think Continental and their downhill super soft is getting super close to competing with Maxxis um, on that level, but Maxxis trail tires have a have a bit softer rubber. So yeah. yeah, I think he should try out the Forecaster, especially if he's he's uh, saying he's lives in the Midwest, he's riding hard pack over loose or loose over hard pack, which is what yep. we have at home here yeah. in Southern California. And um, I think for a trail bike, that'd be a, a great front and rear tire, honestly. Yeah, I ran it because it's fast. I ran it front and rear on my 120 for a bit until I went to a Icon rear to make mm-hmm. it faster. I think what he should do is he could put a forecaster in the rear to get some good rolling speed. 
and uh, with still a lot of grip and then maybe even try the Zynatol or the Dissector in the front so you have a little bit more cornering mm. knobs and that would be a good Trevor's option. suggesting mixed match tires. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that is that is kind of a no-no as it's well. It's a bit of a sin. <laughs> yeah. Bit of I'm, a known no-no. To, I'm known to do that from time to time, but... Um, yeah, we still can't get you off the ass. <laughs> the, the forbidden uh, One day the Kool-Aid will run out of his veins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gosh, that is the forbidden combo right there. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to run what you got. Yeah, run, run what you bring. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. All right, how about this one? After years of riding a bike with Shimano brakes, XT, I have a new bike with SRAM brakes, GTRC. I'm having difficulty adapting to these brakes. They just don't feel right. Strong enough, biting enough, I don't know the words. I want to make them work. Do you have any tips for making this transition? Should I consider some adjustments? Keep riding them until they feel better and I figure it out or just swap them out? P.S. Bean rules. Pet rocks drool. P.P.S. That was me, not Jared. P.P.P.S. Seriously, we all love being the cat. He loves your cat. I he, think, loves, he loves the I don't know. I think Jared added that. I did not add it. I it's swear. so sus, to, but that was me, not Jared. So sus. <laughs> that is, that is, <laughs> we'll look at the next one. We'll, we'll read that later. But. Yeah. All right. So I've, I have an answer for this. So first of all, the G2s will most likely come with organic pads. So the first thing I would do is swap those for metallic pads. Those will give you a much bigger or much better bite. They'll last longer, better in wet weather. And I just think they're better all around. So that would be the first thing to do to uh, get them working more powerful. Um, next thing to do would be bigger rotors if you need them. If you're burning up your small rotors, then they're not going to stop as good as you need them to. So definitely get bigger rotors if your terrain requires that, if it's steep. And then also just make sure your brake is set up correctly. So make sure that the rotor is in the center of the caliper. Make sure your pistons are moving freely and make sure that they're hitting the rotor evenly so that the rotor is not warping from side to side. That'll make the biggest difference in your lever feel, no matter how good your bleed is. If it's if your if your pads are not hitting center on the on the rotor, then your brake's never gonna feel good. So make sure it's just set up proper, take it to a bike shop and have them have someone who knows what they're doing set it up and um, that'll be your best bet. And if you do set it up that way, I guarantee you they'll feel just as good as XTs. Totally. Yeah. I'd say setup would be first, then do the other things that mm, Trevor mentioned. True. Yeah. Yeah, for I, sure. Yeah. Because you can still get away with small rotors and organic pads if your setup is good. Yep. For sure. Totally. And, uh, but yeah. at the end of the day, it is preference. And, you know, I do know a lot of people that swap out SRAM brakes for the Forbidden S brakes. So, yeah. Um, also, that little trick that you have with like slightly advancing the pad closer to the rotor um, yep. could help you know, make this guy's issue of them like not feeling bitey enough or like yeah, maybe there's, having them contact. On the, on the RSCs, there's a reach adjust as well, which helps. True. And then, yeah, if you advance your pistons a little bit more, they might rub a little bit, which is not the end of the world, but your lever feel will, it'll grab sooner. Um, so you really have to make sure that your, your rotor is not warped and you really got to make sure it's center as well to make sure that you have the best opportunity for it to be grabby like that, um, to, at least for your lever feel. But yeah, just making sure everything's center and your pistons are moving freely are going to be your biggest help. Nice. There you go. That's a good tip. Liam, you want to read this one? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> um, I have a dilemma. I'm back in a mountain biking after a 20-year hiatus. I have bought a mid-range bike and now looking to upgrade to something more top shelf. I'm looking at the following Yeti SB140 Lunchride Transition Smuggler at Santa Cruz Hightower. I love pedaling for the downs an all-round trail with tech, jumps, and flow. What would you choose from these three? Cheers, Garth, P.S., Bean for President. Yes. 
Does Australia have a president? Uh, prime minister, Prime maybe? minister. Uh-huh. That's a good question. Trying to name prime minister. The Australian Mate? prime minister. Mate? Mate. Um, well, uh, we're a little biased here. Yeti SB140 lunch ride is a sick bike. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good all around, like Trevor is already saying in this episode. It works for a lot of stuff. It definitely pedals probably the best out of those three. Mm-hmm. I haven't ridden the new Transition Smuggler, so I'm not sure. But I have ridden around the Santa Cruz High Tower, the newest one as well. Um, the High Tower might be slightly more like it has a softer suspension feel. Um, it definitely likes to, you know, quote unquote, plow a little bit more. Um, it doesn't climb as well as the SB140, and it's a little bit more relaxed seat position than the SB140. SB140's climb scrape, super upright seat position. Um, yeah, another one I might throw in there oh. is a Revel Rail 29. Oh. Um, it's a little bit more travel in the rear than those, but uh, I ride mine with a 160 Lyric, and I've been riding it, you know, me and Trevor have been riding his on his 140. I'm on my Rail 29 doing 20-mile, basically XC rides. Um, Pedal's it's great. It's super fun. Pedal's great. It's I'd say the Rail 29, like, shines on tech single track climbing. Like, it just, rear wheel never leaves the ground. It holds traction super well. SP140 has a really stiff platform yep. feeling. So, you know, rips up fire roads and doesn't feel like it bobs much. Um, so, yeah, from my experience, I would say the SP140 lunch ride as well, which is, yeah, what I'm riding. So maybe I'm a little biased, but for the flow and the jump, it really does excel in that because it is a very stable platform. Um, I would say it's not as good as just smashing on techy, rocky trails, but it does it just fine. Um, maybe not as good as the Smuggler or the High Tower, but if you're looking for a more all-around bike to do everything, I think the Yeti is better for that personally. And then again, you can change different settings on your bike to really make it excel in one area. Totally. Um, yeah, kind of like you said, I might also be slightly biased because I just had an SB140 lunch ride. But um, from those three, I would probably pick that kind of like echoing what Liam said. That's probably the best pedaling bike and also very well rounded. Um, I have not ridden the new smuggler. I rode the previous smuggler, but um, yeah, I mean, I've had a few Yetis, so I just really like them. So it's kind of hard to say. Um, but yeah, for if you're pedaling up for the downs, I mean, Rail 29 would also be a great bike. Like you said, Liam, I mean. Yeah, or Forbidden Druid. Or Forbidden Druid, throw another wrench in there because yeah. <laughs> I love that bike and it's really good too. Um, yeah, gosh. Trevor, you want to read the last question? Yeah, sure. We moved, We recently moved into a new house and we were trying to decide what mountain bike features to build in our yard. Our old house had a small pump slash jump track, wooden drop, multiple kicker ramps, teeter-totter. Wow, I'm jealous of that. Right. I know, right? <laughs> we, have a, we have a smaller yard now with a small elevation drop and adjacent pond. Um, our kids um, all love to ride. What features would you suggest building to have a mountain bike fun at home? I don't know, man. It sounds like we should learn from you. I know. Well, a, pump track, wooden drop, kickers. I can kind I of know. relate to this. I In, in my house, <laughs> right? we, uh, me and my roommates, we built a pump track in our backyard, um, which is super fun. It takes a lot of work. As I'm sure this guy knows, he's had a pump track in his backyard. Um, but what I would do if he has a small yard with a little bit of elevation drop, try to build maybe a dual slalom track. Oh, wow. If there's enough elevation drop, that would be fun. Or maybe just like a downhill 
flow trail into a pump track would probably be your best bet. Nice. And just make sure everything's, all the rollers and stuff are spaced out for what bike you're riding because yeah. a mountain bike's going to be much longer than a BMX bike, right? For sure. So make sure that works, um, but that would be your best bet, I would say. Man, I just stumbled across Tyler McCall's yard today mm-hmm. on Instagram. His, he's got like trails in his backyard. Oh my, right? well, no, he's just got proper dirt oh, chunks, in, in, dude. In, uh, in Virgin, right? Yeah. yeah. They are so sick. Wow. I was watching that and I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's like like proper dirt jumps in his yard um and they looked really clean and i was like i'm jealous i really want yeah. dirt jumps in my yard that's yeah. the dream yeah. you know who else has a sick setup is reese wallace oh yeah i mean he's got land land that's so. like like tyler mccall's looked like it was a normal neighborhood and yeah. he just had sick dirt jumps wow reese wallace has like acreage yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah where they just had like an invitational there people session yeah. jumps and stuff that's so awesome. Yeah, that's pretty much living the dream right there. You got all your all your stuff to have fun right at home. Don't have to go anywhere and just yeah. go in the backyard. And, and to raise your kids riding bikes like that, just instead seriously. of being inside, just go outside and have fun and rip yeah. around the bikes for a little bit, get their energy out a little bit. Keep yeah. them off that's, the tablets. That's got to be the best way to do it. A buddy of mine in Santa Barbara has, he has, he has a decent amount of land, um, or I'd say maybe five acres if I had to guess. So it's definitely not the norm. Uh, but he has two flow trails, a set of pretty decent dirt jumps in there. They're all tabletops, but like, um, like my buddy brought an excavator up and helped him dig the dirt jumps. That's how big they are. Sick. Um, it's like, uh, it'd be like going to Sky Park. That's how big the dirt jumps are. Wow. Yard, he's got like a four or five pack. Um, and then at the bottom, he has a properly built pump track, uh, that our buddy Marshall built in his yard. Oh, for yeah. sure. So wow. he's kind of got it all. Um, yeah. It's definitely Marshall, dialed Marshall built for some a, legit pump tracks. Yeah definitely dialed for a uh, a yard setup that's pretty cool that's what i'm talking about gosh i wish we could have that out back right here i know, I know. that would be nice we need we need a jeff we need a pump track at worldwide yeah <laughs> yes we do or i, went, I went to visit specialized headquarters one time and they had a, a concrete pump track which was oh, pretty yeah. cool but oh, wow. you could get hurt pretty good on that too you yeah. definitely can yeah <laughs> i know uh santa cruz has a pump track santa right cruz has santa one cruz as well bikes. yeah yeah I used to ride that one's that pretty fun out there mm-hmm. that's pretty sweet yeah jeff step up your game dude yeah jeff come on what are we doing over here what the heck man nice well that pretty much wraps that one up we got yeah. a couple of notes from the previous episodes you guys answered my tire pressure question back two or three podcasts ago and i thought i'd give you an update i bought a high quality 30 psi analog gauge to really look at my pressures game changer my floor pump gauge was off by about four psi so when i thought i was running 23 25s i was actually running 1921 i'm currently running an accurate 24.5 slash 26.5 and it is a world of difference and really improving my ride i love it love it he's got get, some 0.5 yeah PSI. Get, get i love dirty. that i love get that with it. <laughs> love that also i took a vacation a few weeks ago wore my kettle tomfoolery pants on the plane going to and from destination after 12 hours they were still comfortable and the pockets were perfect for keeping my passport and phone safe these are definitely my go-to travel pants from now on. Awesome. That's awesome. Yes. We love yeah. to hear that I too. I think we all wear Tom Fuller pants most days, at least when it's uh, not 100 degrees at home. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And uh, they're awesome. I, I actually have been really liking the vent pants for traveling. Um, yeah, me too. Because like take off here, it could be 75, wherever you go, it might be different temperature. Uh, and they have the side zipper pocket, which you, I can put phone in the front, wallet in the back, passport on the side, and everything's zipped up and You're safe. not getting pickpocketed. Not getting pickpocketed. Yeah. Nope. So that's vent, awesome. vent pants are rad as well for that. I was vent shorts, but I don't like to fly in shorts. Yeah. 
yeah. have to say what what about his uh, tire pressure gauge? That's got to be the best upgrade or accessory it's, you can buy for any kind of biker. Probably the cheapest too. It's probably the cheapest and it's yeah. the most um, important, I would say. Um, let's say you're like, I've had this experience where I'd be lazy and don't check my tire pressure for a ride. And then on a super rocky trail and end up denting my rims. And, yeah. and cause I'm lazy and I'm like, oh yeah, this is 25 PSI, but it's yeah. probably like 15 PSI <laughs> and with like an insert and it still will dent your rims. Yeah. And if you just like check that every single ride, you will benefit from that. And yeah, again, your setup will be more consistent and you can see if anything else is different about your setup that you can change maybe. And yeah, I recommend that to everybody. So yeah, definitely totally. a, a, the I, best investment you can make. I think I have three tire gauges that float around. I've mm-hmm. got one in my van slash travel toolbox. It's, they're the same thing. One in, obviously in my garage. And then I have another one in my kind of uh, riding bag, my duffel bag that I put gear in. So I always have one on me no matter what. Yep. You can find a pump, but using your, and they're all the same brand too, which is important. Like, yep. They're all same brands, so they're all you know probably relatively within a half psi or two yeah. accurate. So, yeah, because yeah, people who are using a floor pump to gauge the pressure on their tires, it's really never going to be accurate. No, and you're no. Not, well, first of all, you're never going to be able to tell exactly what psi it is, and then you could be off like ten psi. Yeah, um, if you're if it's not a very good pump or if it's an old pump or whatever. So just to have that consistency, if you're using different pumps, is good. I mean, I live in a house with four other guys or three other guys that all ride bikes. And I would say the most common question before a ride is, "Hey, man, where's the pressure gauge?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, because we're always we're always checking it. Hey, you got yeah. one? Yeah, you got a pressure gauge? Oh, it's in my truck. You know? So. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's funny because my floor pump at home is like. It feels like it's getting worse and worse mm-hmm. over time, like the actual pressure gauge on it. And I feel like it's got to be like at least seven PSI off now. But it really is like so easy to just be lazy and be like, oh, squeeze the tire. It's probably fine. Just go out for a ride. But you're right. That's exactly when the bad things happen. Yeah. Like you break stuff yeah. or you get a flat, whatever. Um, but nope. yeah, just no- get Nobody's it. that good to, no. to check the tire pressure <laughs> yeah. PSI yeah. from your hand, you know? Right. Yeah. Like me and Liam tried it the other day and we were both off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, me, me, yeah. me, Trevor, and Jeff. Yeah. We all guessed and we we're all off. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. they're never going to be that good. No yep. scientific like calibration that you have on your hand. That's just the best thing to do is just check it. Even if you think your floor pump is accurate, just get another thing to cross check it and you'll also make sure your your uh, valve cores are clear of sealant too because yeah. that'll yes. be a big thing it'll still be fairly accurate but really not 100 percent. and that's the number one thing that gets clogged is valve cores no matter what so always carry a couple of those at your house and replace them when you need to and that'll make your life much easier yep. as well nice that's a good tip all right last note last note dairy farmer here cow tipping is a myth you cannot tip a cow at least not by yourself or without the use of heavy equipment. Also, cows don't die if they're just on their side. <laughs> it is a good way to tell something is not okay with a cow if they have trouble getting up and down basic mobility. Also, cows account for more deaths simply because humans interact more with cows. Mm. More chances for accidents to happen. Don't fear cows. Just respect them. Drink more milk. Eat more cheese. Cheers. Maybe not the last part. <laughs> you are lactose intolerant, aren't you? Yeah, and no, no, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just... Well, so at least I, now we know yeah. cow tipping doesn't kill cow. It yeah. doesn't kill cows. I know that's nice. Yeah, it's, it's funny because well, like don't after, don't tip cows well, over anyway. All, yeah, yeah. Don't, you might don't get mess. you might get a cow pissed off if yeah. you're tipping yeah. a cow over. That's don't, how you don't die mess with from, animals yeah. that you know don't deserve it. Cows are nice. Yeah, and also I'm pretty sure that came from Weaver. 
<laughs> that, already said that it. <laughs> cows, if you tip a cow, they die because they can't get up. So that from the start was probably 100% inaccurate because it's from Weaver. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, but. That's hilarious. I know it's funny because after we talked about this, I went like searching for videos on cow tipping online and like there's not a single one. We couldn't one. find any. He was and confident enough to know it was true though or to believe it was true. Weaver? And make everyone else yeah. believe it was true. Yeah. Weaver's, you know, what is it? Uh, never in doubt, always wrong. Never in doubt, always wrong. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, well, that just about wraps this one up. That was fun. Yeah, that was really fun. Trevor, thank you so much for joining of us. Course. It was I'll, an absolute pleasure. Thanks, I'll be back. Yes, you absolutely will. If, if Jeff allows it. If Jeff allows it. It's not it. up to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, you know what? We'll see if Jeff is allowed back because. Oh, yeah. yeah the, I have I mean, a majority right here. I know. Like, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, that was even, fun. That was, that was just like a normal, normal conversation in the yeah. shop right now. Right, Louis cool. even a green over there. <laughs> so. Thumbs up for Louis. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for, for watching if you watched. What, uh, do you want reviews still? Um, if you want to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, write a review, screenshot it, email it to podcast at worldwidecyclery.com, and we'll give you a $15 gift card to the website yeah. that you can use on any product you like. Let me know uh, how I did. And let Trevor know how much you love him. And we love you too. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Love ya.